Can you turn with me to the book of Ezra? Ezra. I really like that name, Ezra. And uh, Ezra is right after 2 Chronicles. So you got Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, and you have Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, those three books right in a row. We're going we're gonna to look at Ezra. Um, See, I just want to review a little bit last time because it was such a cool chapter about the Lord being our refuge. You know, they, they had the towns for the Levites and then they had the cities of the towns that were given to the Levites. Some were set, set aside, set apart to be um, uh, cities of refuge. And the Levites, you know, they were kind of spread out all amongst the people to, to serve and to minister, to teach, and, and uh, just kind of like we're all spread out and we go out to all the different parts of the state and area, and God can use each one of us. But they had these cities of refuge for, for someone who had accidentally killed someone who could flee there for protection, for safety, so that they wouldn't die, it says, before they stood trial. And, you know... That, there's a whole legal part of that, but, but really what I saw out of that was that, that we also have a refuge, that the eternal God is our refuge, no matter what we've done, whether it's accidental or on purpose. And you know, you know as well as I do that we all do both, right? Some things we do accidentally, a lot of things we do on purpose. But we have a refuge to go to, and his name is Jesus. And he is the one to whom we can flee for protection and for life. And our churches really are to be cities of refuge and spread out in, you know, all amongst the, the people, not just in one place. You can imagine if they have the churches all just in one place. But when you think about it, they're all scattered around. Why? So they can be cities of refuge where people can find forgiveness and hope, where people can, can find protection and safety. Jesus, the true refuge and the hope. These were things that the Israelites, they would have to deal with once they entered their promised land. And after they crossed the Jordan River, it says, they would have to follow the Ark of the Covenant of God's presence. And it says then they would know which way to go since they had never been that way before. After, when they saw the ark moving, they would know. And then it says, we looked at this in Joshua, that they would have to set foot in the, in the river the Jordan River, and then once they set foot in the river, then what happens? Can we turn it down just a little bit? What happens? The waters separated, and they were able to go through. They were able to go forward, and, and, and up to that point, though, it looked pretty scary. It looked pretty impossible. What I want to talk about today, and, and my goal has been, and I hope, I hope that uh, we've you know, been achieving that goal. My goal has been over the last uh, few months uh, to communicate as best as possible kind of where we're going and, and, and the direction and, and this whole uh, property and, and that and, and uh, you know, so that people wouldn't say all of a sudden, like, what happened? And communication is a tough thing and, and we don't always get it right. But I've been trying to make uh, an effort to communicate, and, and I believe, speaking about this specifically, that we've put our foot in the water, and I believe that God has opened it up. God has separated the water for us to go in, and, and this is who we are. This is for us. I'm speaking now to family. 
I'm speaking to each and every one of you that we're together and we're going. And, and, and one of our goals as a, as a leadership team as well is that, that we wouldn't lose anyone. We wouldn't, wouldn't leave anybody behind. Now, you know, obviously there's some practical things. And, and, and some folks, you know, it's distance, you know, changes or whatever. And, and people move and things like that. But my goal is never, has always been to never lose a single person. And so we're, we're, we put our feet in the water. We, we've seen God open the way. We, we, uh, Monday night, <clears throat> we went to the, uh, to the lawyer's office. Like We didn't really think it was going to happen, but they told us it was going to happen, so we showed up. And um, my, you know, my in-laws were here, and they were sleeping out in the car. They were out in the car sleeping because they were tired from jet lag or whatever. And so we go in, and there's like all these people in this room, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, it just starts getting all chaotic, and they were all there. They were all there, too, so thinking something was going to happen. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, we talked, and, and everybody signed some different papers, and then they all left, and then we signed some more papers, and it took like just a few minutes, and it was all done. And we go like, wow, like, is that all? Did it really happen? But we heard later, I heard later for the lawyer who, said, who, who represented the bank, uh, he says, you know, usually closings are just like, you know, part of his job, kind of business, you know. But he says that, that he, he told, you know, someone this, uh, who I heard about it uh, later, he said, you know, he just had this, this sense, this good feeling. He was like, he was like, felt good after that. And so we, we kind of went back and go, like, what really happened? Is it really happening? But I, I, we did take a picture. I don't have it for you on the screen. But just to prove to you that we were really there signing papers. <laughs> so we really did close. So that was step one. And then, and then John talked about the cleaning and the clearing out. We, we've, for those of you that haven't been there, we've got a dumpster, the biggest, you know, that we could get. And it's completely full. Of stuff, so we had to clear a lot of stuff out. You know what it's like when you move and and you have piles and piles of stuff, and we we all have piles of junk we need to get rid of. So we we did that, and and we had to kind of clear out a lot of stuff where we could even clean. And we you know we ripped out carpet, and and I want to warn you that we're not we're you know it's not perfection yet. I don't know that it'll ever be perfection, but we're we're on the way there, right? And. Uh, so next Sunday, we're going to move in. We're going to move in. I mean, that's... To me, to me, it's kind of surreal. It's not really real. I think after we're there for maybe, you know, three or four weeks, it might, we might, like, we start getting bills and stuff. Maybe it'll be more real, you know? I think maybe. But I've been reading the book of Ezra in my own devotions, and, and I want to take a look that, at what's there together. And I, I want to move really, really quickly. Uh, and and uh, at least for today, like look at the first three chapters. That's quick, right? But we're, gonna, we're not going to read every verse and every name and everything. But the people of Israel, you know, we've been looking at the book of Numbers. And we're kind of at the place in Numbers where they're, again, at the Jordan River looking in. And they're just about to cross the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land. The book of Ezra, on the other hand, this is many, many hundreds of years later, where they were in the Promised Land, but they, they basically turned away from God who brought them there and began to worship false gods and idolatry and sinfulness and all kinds of wickedness. 
just doing what everybody else around them was doing. And, and what happens is they, they were exiled. They were taken out of the land. They, they got taken out of the promised land. Why? Because they refused to, to follow after God because they wanted to go a different way. And God says, okay, if that's what you want to do, fine. And God removes protection. And, you know, the Assyrians come in and the Babylonians come in and they take the people captive and they take them away from the promised land. Oh, there were some that stayed, but not many. And so Ezra now, uh, it was prophesied that they would be in exile like 70 years, right? Ezra now is them beginning to return back to the promised land. After being taken away captive, uh, a, a man, a king by the name of Cyrus, allows them to begin to come back to the promised land. This is where we are in Ezra. Let's look at, uh, at chapter uh, 1, verse 1. Ezra and Nehemiah as well, they both talk about rebuilding. They both talk about returning. And, and when you think about it, it's, the whole picture is kind of a picture of forgiveness, isn't it? A picture of grace. Yes, they, they, they turned away and they, they had consequences for that, but God allowed them to, to return, to come back. And that's always true for us. And you think of the, the parable of the prodigal son. God, it, the way is always open. We sang that song, his arms are open. Why? Because he wants us to return. Always the way is open. Ezra chapter 1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. The Lord is involved in this from start to finish. Cyrus thought maybe that he was doing it, but the Lord was moving his heart, and God moves on people's hearts. God still moves in people's hearts, and he can move your heart and my heart. Where God guides, God provides. God provided. He wanted them to return, and so he provided Away, And it was through the king of Persia, the one that was in charge of them. Verse 2, it says, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. And any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. He says he thought he was doing it, but, but he did recognize that God was involved in this. How much he knew about who the God of heaven was personally, we don't really know. But we do know that God was working there, and he says to go up and build. Of course, it was more rebuilding than building. But of course, in rebuilding, there's a lot of building. Verse 4, it says, And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. There was to be assistance. There was to be provision. And where would it come from? God was going to provide, but where does it say in verse 4 here that the, 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 the provision came from? It came from the people. As they free will. They made free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. This was people all over, not just those that were going. People all over were helping to provide for that. Verse 5, then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Everyone 
whose heart God had moved. John was talking about it, but you know, I've just been seeing that God is moving on people's hearts in our situation. God is moving on people's hearts. It's not me. I'm not foolish enough to think that I could move anyone's hearts. And I didn't ask you. I'm not foolish enough to think that it's a work that I could ever do. God is moving on people's hearts, right? And, and when I see it, I just go, I have to stand back and go, wow, I can't, like, this is, like, way bigger than, than us. This is way bigger than me. This is way bigger than the leaders, what, what God is doing here. God is moving on people's hearts. And I must, I must point out, in, in this day uh, of Ezra, all the people didn't go back to Jerusalem. There were a lot of people, but we see a list here in chapter 2 of the people that did go, but they all didn't go. They kind of, they were okay where they were in Babylon in different places. They were okay there. They, they had jobs, they had income, they had places to live and all that. So it wasn't all of them that went. They were content where they were, but God was working with this group of people who said, you know what? Jerusalem. We got to go back to Jerusalem. We need to go back to the temple. The temple's there in ruins, and, and we need to go back and we need to do something. God was moving on their hearts. So it says they prepared to go up and build. We've been preparing to go. We've been working towards that. We've been doing everything that, that we know to do to prepare ourselves and to go. Verse 6 All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem, that's the king of Babylon, and had placed in the temple of his God. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. You see, in that all... Lots of different sources, lots of different avenues where things are coming together. The provision was there. It didn't happen all by itself. People got involved. People that weren't even part of it, neighbors of the people who were going, hey, we're going back to Jerusalem. Oh, really? Well, let me give and, and help you go. And then the king, of, and then the king of, uh, of Persia, he says, you know, we got all this stuff that really belongs to the temple. We're going to give that to you and take that back too. The things that had been taken were returned to the temple. I, I, you know, I can't, we, we've seen it already twice in here, and then in, in throughout the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they talk about this, how, how God just provided, but he used people. And, and, you know, as we go down this journey, we're not going to become, I want to promise, make a promise to you that we're not going to become focused on money. But you know what? Let's be real and, and realistic that it's, it's going to take provision for us to make this thing work, for us to, to, to do what we need to do. It's going to take all of us being involved one way or another. And, and we'll see later in, uh, in this book where they did, they did it according to their ability, according to what they were able. And some people can do a little and some people can do more. And that's just the practical reality of it. But I've never been one to, to beg for money, and, and my, I, I have no plans on begging for money. I want to I say that to you now. But reality is that we need to do what we need to do, right? Is that, is that un understandable? Okay. Can we take an offering now, please? <laughs> no, just kidding. 
chapter 2, the, the last part of chapter 1, all the inventory of, of what was uh, being brought and all that was there. Chapter 2 now <clears throat> speaks about returning and settling in. Chapter 1 was really about the, <clears throat> the fact that God was in this, that God was moving the hearts of people. They were being led by God to go back to Jerusalem. Chapter 2 speaks about the returning. And then at the end of the chapter, speaking, speaks about them being settled in. The first 67 verses is really a list of all those people that returned. And we don't know all those names and, and all those groups, those families, all the priests and the Levites, but, but they were all important. Every one of them was important. Every one of them was counted. And every one of us counts. Every one of you is important. Every one of you counts. Like John said, one would uh, be there one day and then the next day someone be, would be there to take their spot. And, and, and each one of us is important in, in the thing that, that God had, has called us to do and the direction that he's called us to go. Uh, we're going to have lots of different opportunities for, for so many different kinds of things. What is it that God might have you to, to get involved in? In verse 68 and 69, again, they talk about the uh, chapter 2. They talk about the free will offerings that were given. In verse 69, it says, according to their ability they gave to the treasury for this work. And then in verse 70, it says, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants, they settled in their own towns along with some of the other people, and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. I, I read through this uh, quite a few um, weeks ago, and, and I was reading through this, and, I, and I, I saw that, you know, for us, we're kind of on this journey, right? We saw in the book of Numbers, they had this journey in the places they would stop and go, and we're kind of on this journey. But I read this, and I saw, you know, they, they, they got these people together, and, and the people that, that God had moved on their hearts, they were going to move forward, and they were going to go back to Jerusalem, and they were going to work on this temple. And God provided for it to be done. And so they returned. And there's a whole list of people. All these people's names. They returned. They stepped up and they said, we're going. We're going back to Jerusalem. And then it says here in verse 70 that when they got there, they, they kind of found a place for themselves and they began to what? Settle in. And when I read this, I thought, you know, we can't do everything before we go. Because we'll, we'll have to move in like in 2015 uh, or something. You know what I'm saying? So, so I really, uh, when I read this, I saw that, you know, they, they, they had the heart to go and they returned. And then it says they settled in. They, they found their place. They settled in and, and kind of things calmed down a little bit. Because it was a huge transition, wasn't it, from where they were to now being back in Jerusalem. It's a huge transition, and, and, and we're about to make a pretty big transition, too. Although we're kind of flexible people, I think. Aren't we? Yes. Maybe? Hello? We've been pretty flexible. We, we, for, you know, we've been portable and pretty flexible uh, uh, through the years. But maybe that's the problem, is that we're so flexible and we're going to move to a place where you know, it's kind of more fixed. That's a big change, isn't it? We don't have to be as flexible, but we still need to be flexible. That's a challenge to try to do both. 
So what I really feel is that and believe that, that we need to get in there. And I felt that when I saw this, I felt like we need to get in there before we can do everything. We need to get in there. We need to settle down a little bit. These last few weeks and the last few months have been kind of unsettling. I don't know about you. But, but we've been doing a lot of stuff, and I know it's been a smaller group of people who've been involved in all the paperwork and all that stuff, and now a larger group involved in all the uh, cleaning and clearing out and all this stuff. And the dust is like crazy, you know, but we need to let the dust settle down just a little bit. We need to kind of find a heart and, and let God kind of uh, settle us down. And, and, and they made the move. They took some time to settle in. Now, it wasn't a long period of time. We're not going to settle in for like six years and then say, now we can do something, right? And it really, is really here, when you begin to look at it in depth, it really is only a period of weeks and months, weeks and months, that they began to settle in and, and uh, find their places and, and they, they, they settled down and settled in. It took a little bit of time to see what's what, to see what's needed, to see where to begin, we kind of were there doing the cleaning and we kind of saw lots of things we could do and, and it was very tempting to say, well, we should do this and we should do that. But truthfully, we need to get in there and find out what's what and slow down a little bit. We, got a, we almost got a little bit ahead of ourselves in one area and we had to say, oh, let's, let's, let's slow down a little bit. Let's settle in and see exactly where we want to start first. What, what's what? What's the need? What's the biggest need? What's the most important need? They took some time. Chapter 3 now. They took some time to settle in. Chapter 3 begins the rebuilding. Again, it wasn't a long period of time. It was a short period of time. But they did take some time. And afterward, after they got settled, it says they got together. Look at verse 1. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. They, they took this time. And then it says that they got together, they assembled, they, they said, hey, you know what, let's, let's, let's have a prayer meeting, let's have a meeting, let's get together, let's talk about this stuff. And then in verse 2 it says, then Jeshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, they began to build the altar of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses. It says they began to build. They'd taken some time. They returned. They'd taken some time to settle in. And now it says that they began to build. And where did they start? They started at the altar. They started at the altar. They, the altar was a place of sacrifice. The altar was a place of celebration. The altar is really a place of worship. And in the, in the scheme of things in the, in the Old Testament, the altar was essential to bridge the gap between man and God, right? And so the altar was a place, it, first things first, it, to, to, to have access to God, to be able to go directly to Him, they would, they would start with the altar. Look at verse 3, it says, Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built, her, they built the altar on its foundation. And they sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. It was scary to them. 
there were all these people around them, and, and it says despite their fear. It says they didn't have any fear. And, and you know, I think, again, it's foolish for us to say that, you know, we never fear anything. We're never afraid of anybody. We're never afraid of what might happen. You know, we need to be concerned about, you know, the people around us when we begin over there. What kind of a problem are we going to create for them with our car, just our cars alone? And how are we going to park so that we're not, you know, making a real problem? And, and how are we going to deal with the issue of that everybody and their brother thinks that that is a street? It's not a street. That's all church parking. Okay, so we have the neighbors there, and, and, and everybody just thinks it's a street, to, a drive-through, a cut-through, right? Despite their fear of the peoples around them, it says they built. They carried on, and they, but they started. They didn't worry about these extraneous things. They started where? At the altar. They rebuilt the altar on its foundation. It says they, they restored the morning and the evening sacrifices, the burnt offerings. We, we looked at this in Numbers chapter 28, not that many weeks ago. The, the, the daily, you remember the, the daily uh, worship offerings, and then you had weekly, and then you had monthly, and then you had yearly celebrations. The daily, they started first things first, the daily. They restored the daily worship. And, and looking back, I, I, you know, a couple of quotes that I read in, in chapter 30, uh, 28 about these daily offerings, it says Jewish and Christian commentators have always regarded the daily burnt offerings as a model of worship for all time. Prayer should be offered at least every morning and evening. Indeed, the whole of life is to be dedicated to God through repeated acts of praise and thanksgiving, this daily worship. When we wander away from God, where do we need to get back to? Is that time of daily worship. Of course, now, for, for them, that it was the altar. It was the altar of, of burnt offering where the burnt offering really spoke about dedication, complete dedication to God. Each day was a day of worship, a day of dedication, a day of reconciliation. And that quote in Exodus 29, he says, For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to, made, is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting, at the altar, before the Lord, he says, there I will meet you and speak to you. There I will meet you and speak to you. The first thing, the most important thing for them when they came back is, is that communication with God, with God would, be, would be key, would be the most important thing. God says, I'll meet you right at that altar when you, when you lift up those sacrifices. I'll meet with you. If this is just a building, it's useless. If it's a place where we can find time to meet with God and, and, and connect with Him, it's wonderful. It will be wonderful. Not that it's only done in a building, though. We, we saw, you know, the Scripture says, you know, does God, is He limited to one little building, one little space? Of course not. He, he, you know, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Verse 4 says, then in accordance with what, what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. So they, they, they went from the daily offerings to the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what came up next with the burnt offerings. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a, a time to remember, to kind of look back and remember their journey from Egypt to Canaan. 
when they were set free from Egypt and, and all those years in the wilderness, they kind of had this time of, of looking back. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles were. Verse 5, after that they presented the regular burnt offerings and new moon sacrifices, the monthly. They Basically, they were restoring the worship. They were restoring the worship, and, and that's really what was happening there in Jerusalem. And, and I don't believe that we've ever stopped worshiping. So for us... It's more of continuing to worship. But maybe it is that God is also going to, to uh, increase our worship, increase our ability to worship, increase our hearts and move on our hearts to be more worshipful people. I don't know. I'm excited to think, to think and see what God might want to do. Verse 6 says, On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. You look at verse 1 in that chapter, it says, when the seventh month came, they got together, and then they began to build. And then we see here on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings. So it looks like the very first day they began to, to build and work on this altar, the very first day they began to worship. They, you know, from the very beginning, they said, let's, let's do it. This was so important. Once they started, it was done that day. And worship has always been a part of who we are as a fellowship. Always, always from day one. We're going to go and we're going to go worship. We're going to continue to worship. That's going to continue to be a part of who we are. What happens in the summertime if we open the windows and we're playing our rock worship? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll get air conditioning. We'll see. We, can't, we don't know, but, but, but we need to... Be people of worship, and we're going to continue to worship. No waiting. Though other things weren't finished, it says the, the foundation wasn't done yet. The foundation had not yet been laid. There were other things that weren't finished. Are we going to wait until, you know, it's all pretty, pretty, nice, nice before we can worship? No, we're going to worship from day one. Day one. Next Sunday, we're going to begin with worship. Verse 7, it says, They gave money to the masons and carpenters, gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so they would bring the cedar logs by sea. There were workers and there were craftsmen. They were paid to do their jobs. There's some things in this whole scheme of things that we can do ourselves, many things we can do ourselves, but there's also many things that we need to pay people to do. Craftsmen that are, you know, that, you know, fix roofs and, and make gutters and stuff like that. We're going to pay them to do what they need to do. You wouldn't want to see me build a gutter. They have machines that do that. Verse 8. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel and all those other people, says they began the work appointing Levites, 20 years of age and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua and his sons and brothers and all the others, they joined together at the end of verse 9 in supervising those working on the house of God. We see now they're into the second month of what? The second year. Second month of the second year, and they're, they're still now working on the temple. They, they started at the altar but they've been working on different things, and they're still now working on the temple. That, that kind of tells us what? That it takes a little bit of time, right? It's going to take time for us to do what we need to do. 
We're going to have to, you know, make priorities. We're going to have to be patient because we can't, you know, do it. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So we're going to have to be patient. But, you know, I think, too, when God brings us in there, we have this time of settling in. We, we see what needs to be done. And we get the, you know, God provides in lots of different ways. And, 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 and people see things that need to be done and say, you know, hey, this, you know, we should, you know, this looks like something we need to do. Maybe I can help there. Or I know someone who can do something, kinds of thing. And, and we all kind of get involved in it. Doesn't mean we're all going to, you know, be doing every little thing. But, but uh, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some patience. But notice also there were, some, there were leaders that, that supervised the work. We can't just have everybody doing everything all at once without any kind of supervision, right? If you all just showed up and you brought your own paint and a paintbrush and you start painting this wall blue and this wall pink and this wall, you know, chartreuse. And, and um, pretty soon it would look like crazy. Not that I'm against any of those colors. But you know what I'm saying? We have to, the leaders, you know, have to kind of be, you know, willing to supervise and, and uh, you know, kind of, there's going to be people that, 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 that kind of keep an eye on things, make sure the job's done, first of all, and make sure it's done right. So, you know, there's that, that you know, leadership idea, and, and uh, that's an important part. Look at verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets... And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols, they took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, and His love to Israel endures forever. I got some real bad news for some of you. There was a whole bunch of choir robes there. <laughs> but we got rid of most of them. We got a few left for those of you that really need they're green, though. Actually, they're chartreuse. I don't know what color they are. <laughs> but, you know, somebody wanted the purple ones. So we don't have the... We had a whole bunch of purple ones. We don't have the purple ones anymore. I'm not against choir robes in the right um, setting. But somehow it doesn't, doesn't quite fit us. Because we've always believed this, that the choir is Who? So if you all had to wear robes, that would really kind of be strange. <laughs> but we see here in this verses 10 and 11, they, the priests, they, they put on what they needed to put on, and, and then they had the trumpets, and they had cymbals, and they had all got in their places to sing and praise the Lord, and they had praise and, they thank, and thanksgiving. We just finished thanksgiving. And, and they sang to the Lord. They, they didn't just sing to each other. We sing to the Lord, and that's what they did. They sang to the Lord, and, and this is the refrain they sang, He is good. He is good. God's been good to me. Oh, God's been good to me. And His love to Israel endures forever. He is good. He is good. And He loves Israel, and He loves you and me. And His love never stops. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. It sounds like they made some noise. Look what it says there in the last part of verse 11. And all the people gave a great shout 
of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You know, they didn't wait till it was all finished. When the temple was built by Solomon, you know, it, it was so very exciting. And at the end, when it was all finished and everything, and, and there were, you know, the, the, the Spirit of God came down and the glory filled the house and, and incredible things were happening. But here, it's kind of like that's happening here, but they just started. They just got the foundation going here. They just got it going back, you know, uh, being put back together again, and, and the praise and worship just let loose, and they sang to the Lord. They made this noise, this shout. You know, we don't always have to be quiet, you know. Sometimes I think we hold back a little too much. We can shout. Can I hear an amen? amen. There you go, see? Amen. We can make noise. Verse 12, finish the chapter. But many of the older priests and Levites and, and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. Wow, what a scene that must have been. People were weeping. At the same time, people were shouting, praise to the Lord, shouting for joy. It was all happening. You know, there's all kinds of emotions going on there. The older ones who remembered, they remembered. So they had to be what? They had to be, if it's been like 70 years, they had to be, you know, like in their 80s or whatever, to be old enough to remember what it was like, what it had been. All different kinds of emotions. You know, I, we were clearing out one of the rooms and, and, uh, and John stumbled upon a whole, whole rolls of all these plans, you know. And there were plans back from the 60s of Green Meadow. And I took them home and I, you know, I opened these things up. And, and you know what, there was, there was radical things happening back at this church back in the day. Radical things happening. You know, they started with the one section, and you'll see, it was, they, they built the one section, and then six or seven years later, they built the other section. But they had plans to build a third section. They had plans to build a, another sanctuary that would seat a 1,000 people. The sanctuary now, you know, seats about 180 to 200 or so. They had plans to build another sanctuary and then turn all the rest into Sunday school rooms, they called them education rooms. Stuff was happening there. And I wonder, I wonder if there are still people around that were, that were back in the day in the 60s. That would make them not that old, right? <laughs> Probably like my age. And I've thought about, I've thought about putting a... Putting a Something in the newspaper somewhere, you know, to for somebody, you know, people who are still here, who were back in the back in the early days, to kind of just I want to talk to them and find out, like, what was it like back then? What was it? What was happening back then? One of the neighbors came over, and she wanted to put up a little sign thing, and and uh, I didn't know what was going on. I was on the phone at the same time too, and and I. Uh, I said, well, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. 
And so she puts this little thing in the yard. You'll see it uh, for another week or so about some concert or something that uh, a nonprofit group is doing. And, but after, you know, I said, okay, um, she said, yeah, I'm one of the neighbors here. I didn't know that at first. I'm one of the neighbors. I live across the street. I've been living over there for a long, long time. I said, okay, my name is, and nice to meet you. And, 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 but my father-in-law said that he had, he had talked with her, and, and she said, you know, I've been here since the beginning of that church, and you know what? This place was, you know, my kids used to go here for Sunday school. She says, we're Catholic, but, but my kids came here for Bible school. And she says, this place, you know, we, we're glad to, you know, see something happening here. I don't know if everybody's going to have that response, but she certainly did. There was a lot of noise, you know, back here in Jerusalem. So much noise, it says that, they, that the, the sound was heard far away. Maybe that's our amps, I don't know. But I think I think more I think more it's it's that that people heard about what was happening. And I think for us, you know, people you know near and far, people who have been a part of our fellowship through the years, they're going to hear, and, and and many are already hearing, and they're excited about it, even if they're you know miles and miles away. You know, Tim Hamilton, our our sending pastor, who sent us out, you know, back in 1988, he heard about this. And I called him up and told him, and he was, he was just so excited about it. People hearing the noise, the shouts of joy, the worship heard far away. I sent out an email to uh, the Calvary chapels because for many years, you know, we've been, <clears throat> our church has pretty much been sponsoring a uh, a pastor's fellowship meeting in New Hampshire. And uh, so we, you know, we try to keep the, the churches together in New England. And we had, a, we had an awesome time back in October again. Um, but I sent out an email to those guys saying, you know, that, hey, we're, we're very excited. And, and after 20 years, you know, we're also fearful, trepidation. But after 20 years, God is giving us a place of our own. And, and we, we closed and, and we're, we're moving forward. And I got some emails back from these guys. Eight, I had eight respond. I'm just going to read a couple of, of these as we, as we close. One of them from New Hampshire, he said, Wonderful news, the Lord's blessing on you and your congregation. A guy from Long Island who we just started to get to know the last couple of years, he's not really in New England, but we don't hold that against him. He said, Bro, he said, that's excellent news. He says, may the Lord bring a great outpouring of his spirit. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you shall reap a great harvest. Don Roach in the Berkshires, he says, praise the Lord. I rejoice with you. You are in our prayers. George Small says, from Fitchburg, Mass., he says, congrats. That's exciting to hear. And Tony from Cape Cod, a guy who is got physical problems right now he's been in the hospital in and out of the hospital he's got a type of leukemia he says congratulations and praise the lord rich he said we will be praying with you guys sorry through this transition he says i will check with our guys to see if we may be able to send a team or two and when you get your job coordinator in place send me the contact info so we can connect blessings tony is that exciting 
people that we've been a part of through the years. It says that they returned, they settled in, and they began to rebuild. God, God is good. God is good all the time. And His love to Israel, His love to us endures forever. Let's pray together, shall we? God, You are good, and we, uh, we stand in awe, really, of what You're able to do in our lives. Lord, it is a special time, and I don't want to miss any part of what You're doing, Lord, but it's bigger than us, and my brain can't even get around really what's happening here. But Lord, we, we know that it's not about a building, and we know it's about you. And, and when they went back, they, the first, after they got in there, they, they wanted to worship you. And Lord, we want to worship you and give you all the honor and, and all the praise and all the glory that you are good and your love, the love that, that caused you to send your one and only son to die in our place endures forever. Your love endures forever. We pray, Lord, even in this week as we, as we now uh, end this time of being wanderers and uh, portab- portable, I think we have the record of the most longest portable church in the state. As we end this time of being portable, Lord, we, we do look with with excitement and trepidation, Lord. We're unworthy. It's not anything we have done to, to deserve, but because of your grace, because of your mercy and your love that endures forever, we, we go forward and, and we look forward to meeting in that new place, the green meadow where we, you lead us by the still waters and the pastures, the green pastures. Make us lie down. And you take care of us, Lord. You're our shepherd. Father, thank you for all that's happened. And we also pray and and ask as we go forward, Lord, that it would be a place that, that praise and worship would be just lifted up to you all over the place over there. And that the sound would go far and wide. But also, we, we also pray, Lord, for a harvest of souls, that people would come to know you. And it would be a city of refuge place of refuge to find life in your great son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. You are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.